Hello, and welcome to the premiere of the Transportation Insight Supply Chain Master Series. I'm Peter Ryan in the marketing group at Transportation Insight. Thank you for taking time out of your schedule to join us for this digital event. I know the next hour will deliver meaningful insight that you can apply in your own operational environment. We designed this digital series to connect you directly with our team of supply chain masters. You'll get a glimpse into the team, tools, and technology that helps companies of all sizes overcome challenges in their supply chain. In every episode, our supply chain masters will share their knowledge so that you can realize value today, drive growth tomorrow, and master your supply chain. Upcoming episodes will provide essential information for budget planning and transportation spend management, as well as tips for improving your supply chain visibility. You can register for these webinars today at transportationinsight.com resources slash digital hyphen event hyphen series. Today, we're talking about the logistics dilemma, in-source versus outsource. Joining us, we have Transportation Insight Client Solutions Directors, Pat Allen and Lee Burrell. Most of our time today is going to be devoted to our featured content, but we definitely want to take your questions at the end. If you have a question for Pat or Lee, simply type it into the question panel you see in the webinar viewer on your screen. We'll respond to as many questions as possible during our broadcast. So now to begin our presentation, let's go live to Lee Burrell and Pat Allen. Hey, Peter, thank you very much. Uh, appreciate the opportunity to be here with you all today. Honored to have the opportunity to be on the first of the Supply Chain Masters uh, series and incredibly honored to be joined today by Lee Burrell. Uh, to give Lee a bit of an introduction, spent nine years uh, over the course of his supply chain career with Menlo, XPO, DHL. Uh, he's touched supply chains in myriad different industries from oil and gas to healthcare to hospitality to CPG, uh, and all this after graduating with a master's in supply chain engineering from Georgia Tech. So very honored to speak with you today, Lee. Happy to have this webinar. Looking forward to the conversation. Awesome, Pat. Thank you for that very nice introduction. Uh, I am excited as well for this in-source and outsource dilemma. I know a lot of companies are dealing with this not only today, but will be dealing with it in the future, especially from all the changes that have happened in our economy uh, recently. Um, a little bit more about you, Pat. I think you, you gave me such a nice introduction. I feel honored to, to give it back to you. I know you spent 12 years with C.H. Robinson. You've done a host of the, uh, the transactional, the brokerage piece, but also into the more uh, integrated outsourcing initiatives that you've worked on. You are a um, certified supply chain professional, I believe. I'm actually studying for that distinction now. Look forward to maybe getting some tips from you in the near future. So Excellent. I know you've had just a wealth of experience across your, your career here. So I'm very excited today for our conversation. And hopefully our guests will have uh, gained value from it today as uh, they look to decide whether to insource and outsource. And then if they decide to outsource, how what's the best way to approach that? Absolutely. And, and your kind words are appreciated as well, Lee. So to your point, let's uh, let's find out some of the things that we're going to be talking about today. So what we hope that you're going to take away from our conversation today, and, and really we do truly want it to be a conversation around these things. Um, you know, first and foremost, four things about your company, who you are, uh, who you are as an organization, some of the things that you should consider when you're looking to make the decision to insource versus outsource. Uh, and then beyond that, uh, what to include from a partnership, the types of strategic outsourcing approaches. There's there's different focuses 
for an outsource approach that we're certainly going to touch on today. The things that your logistics partner should be delivering for you today, if you already are outsourcing, or when you look to engage them after you've made that decision, uh, what sort of things you should be able to expect from them tactically, and then also what's going to set that logistics partner apart from a relational perspective, what that relationship should, relationship should look like, and how they can help you build out that strategy. So really excited about that. Now I'll, I'll toss it over to Lee here to kind of kick us off. Uh, and looking forward to speaking with you, Lee. Let's rock it out. Let's do it, man. So this first topic is, is really important. I think a lot of people maybe don't understand that it's not just the partner that you decide on going with that you have to look at, but you have to look at your internal company as well. Why is that important? Well, I think the first thing is that we all know that people are the driver behind success. This is incredibly, incredibly important. And today's supply chain environment, which is great for us, but for companies that are trying to find top talent, it's very difficult to find. Why? Well, 30 years ago, supply chain really, there wasn't that much technology involved, right? You had some warehouses, think about longshoremen back in the day, right? Literally picking off pieces off boats. And now there's all this technology and innovation and efficiency and various things like that. So there's so much change happening that you have to stay on the cutting edge. And how do you stay on the cutting edge is getting experienced people with uh, you know, tons of drive in terms of learning and bringing innovative ideas and things like that. So companies that are trying to fight for that talent are going against companies that have I mean, truly unlimited budgets. Let's go ahead and think about Amazon, Apple, TI even, EHL, all, the, all these companies, XPO. So you, if you are not confident that your company has the, the, the ability and the resources to, to go attract top tier supply chain talent or talent in anything you're looking to outsource, that's one thing you really got to be cognizant about. And you have to find a partner that has that talent or that you feel very confident has the ability to keep and retain that talent. It's so important. Now, if you feel your company has that talent from a supply chain perspective to retain, to hire, retain, and train, then more power to you. Definitely that would be a feather in the in-source cap. But I challenge you as potentially a mid-market or small market company, it's not going to be as easy. The, gap, the talent gap in supply chain is already big. Look it up, Google it, it's massive. And it's only going to get larger. So that's the first thing you really have to look at internal versus the outsource debate is what type of talent do I have in place now? What is my bench strength? And is that bench strength going to be able to rise to the challenge and lead my company from a supply chain perspective into the 21st century? What are your thoughts on that, Ben? You're 100% you're right. I mean, the, that talent gap is real in supply chain. And so it's not just the, the talent, the intelligence, the experience that these people have, that these individuals have, but it's also sometimes raw numbers, right? How many people does Amazon have working in their logistics department, so to speak? 100,000? Who knows? So your organization, as you scale, if you're a growing organization, maybe at one point, one person can handle all that. And maybe they do have the intelligence and the experience necessary to do that. But as your organization grows, or if you're in a different spot in your business, you need more than one person. So it, it really exacerbates that talent gap. As a matter of fact, so in a previous life, uh, I was doing some consulting for a kayak uh, shipper, a kayak organization. They were a startup, very young, big differentiated kayak, um, but also a very unique supply chain when you're moving kayaks via LTL or the, it's just a weird product to try to move. So when they first incorporated, volumes were such that their warehouse manager could handle it all. He could handle inventory, he could handle logistics, he could handle engaging the carriers. 
He could handle claims. He could handle all these things. And he really did a good job. He, understand, he understood that business very well. But then all of a sudden they took off and their business changed and inventory became a challenge because they were out of room. So they needed outside experience and how to build up space for their inventory. Uh, they started to be able to buy a bit more in a, in a bit more of a sophisticated manner. And he simply wasn't prepared to do that because his experience had been uh, just with that small supplier. So what worked really well at one point as the business needs changed, uh, they ended up going for a logistics outsource, which really helped out with operational efficiencies and really allowed that person to concentrate on the warehouse efficiency and inventory management while they outsource something else. So, well, I think that's really important. And, and another point I'd like to make in this discussion, Pat, is think about how quickly things can change, positively and negatively. Think about it, your product gets on Oprah, right? Or, or blows up on TikTok. Or Shark YouTube. Tank. Shark Tank, right? Shark Tank. And all of a sudden, Oh, we have a we have a great problem. We have so many sales, but guess what? If you don't deliver on those sales or have the responsiveness and agility within your organization to do that, you're setting yourself up for failure because all of a sudden those people now have a voice and they can go on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and say, hey, this I ordered this product, it never came, or it came damaged, or it took 12 days to get here. So not only are you looking at your your people, but you're also looking at our next topic, process and innovation. This is extremely important, right? As I as I mentioned, how quickly things can change. Not only that, beyond just how quickly things can change, how quickly can you you scale up? Do you have internally? Are you confident that your company has the ability to look at processes and continue to innovate over time within those processes? Is that driven through KPIs? Is that driven through the culture? Is that driven through through the talent that you have? And if you you look at that honestly, a lot of companies aren't set up that way, right? You look at Amazon, I think we can detail out Amazon probably is a pretty innovative company. That is in their core DNA. But there's a lot of companies that that isn't in their core DNA, right? So it's really important. You were talking about, uh, the other day we were talking about the Lighthouse uh, yeah. example. Please really, share. Really cool. Absolutely, really cool story. So there was a large toy uh, manufacturer here in the U.S. that I had the opportunity to work with. They had uh, four DCs in the U.S. for their e-com, just e-com. So they had four DCs and they were they were okay. They weren't, they weren't knocking it out of the park, but they weren't blowing it either. I mean, the products were getting to customers and things like that, but this toy company saw that Amazon was moving into their space. And in order to compete, you had to have certainly two day now with Prime and probably one day now. So they said, how do we solve this problem? How do we decide in-source versus outsource? We've already invested in buildings, in capital, in technology, but how do we bring the best of the best into our organization? Well, they said, what if we had a lighthouse? So what if we had a company that we brought in that had all this experience? This is literally what they do to put supper on their table, if you will. They bring in the people, they bring in the process, they bring in the innovation, the technology, and the culture that we can then leverage in our own organizations. This worked fantastic for this company. So we came in, we set up an entirely automated warehouse. We brought in all our best engineers, our best managers, our best people, even when our, with our margin baked in, we still outperformed all those. There was never, never one year, not one year, that those four other warehouses outperformed us. But that's good news because the performance of those other four warehouses moved up to be competitive with our solution. So we were sharing that knowledge and expertise over to the parent organization. So this was a lighthouse type approach that they were able to say, hey, we want to continue to own and insource and control our destiny. But we also realize we don't have the people, process, and technology in place 
to deliver that at the speed in which we want to. So they found a partner at the time, the previous company that I worked with, to act as a lighthouse. And it was very, very successful. So that was you know, an example from my background path, where we, when we looked at process and innovation, a company made a decision, in-source versus outsource. They kind of took a hybrid model, which we'll talk about in a minute, but it, it really worked well for them. That's that utopia, right? That strategic alignment. And we'll, we'll touch on that in a little bit. Exactly. So it's funny, you mentioned in there, you, you mentioned technology a little bit. Uh, spoiler alert, that's the next part of this. So <laughs> from a technology perspective, it's a huge, uh, obviously something you need to think about. And again, we're still focusing on you as the organization, right? So it's what do you have internally from a technology perspective? So years ago, uh, in, in again, in a former life for me, so uh, I was part of an organization that that their core competencies were supply chain, engineering, collaboration, execution, transportation management, et cetera. That was the core competency of, of what they did. But of course, there's other things that have to happen in an organization, right? There's HR, um, there's customer management, there's all these different things. So this organization historically has always insourced everything, especially at a technology level. We wanna build our own things. If we can't build it, then we're gonna try and go out and purchase a company that has something that we want. But then we're gonna house it inside, we're gonna staff our IT resources to make sure that it's supporting to meet those goals. Well, as technology changes, and I don't know, maybe it's just because I live in, in today, the speed of change in technology is nearly impossible to keep up with unless you are a technology company. So, so what we did is, is we made the decision from a, a CRM, customer relationship management system, instead of building that in-house and maintaining that and coming up and keeping up with the Joneses of the sales forces and the Microsoft dynamics of the world, the change was decided, hey, we're finally going to go ahead and we're going to rely on these people who are really good at what they do because all they focus on is CRM systems. And then they partnered in that way and there were great efficiencies that came from that. So how, Pat, in that example that you gave, which is great, you mentioned they had, the company that you previously worked for only insourced. How was that different culturally for that organization? How did they handle that change management internally to enable that success? You know, it's, it's a great question. And I'm sure that in the IT department, there was some discomfort because there's, right. there was a big change. You know, change management is a huge part of the in-source versus outsource conversation. So in that change management piece, IT resources were redeployed. Right. But the good news was now those IT resources were redeployed to focus on technology that supports their core competencies. So, in fact, that organization could get better at what they do versus just trying to, to be good at, at customer relationship systems. But oh, that was a, a great question. Well, I mean, that, that culture piece is, is so important. Right. And the reason that I asked, it's our next topic. Um, the final one in this one. Right. So you have your four. Right. The people. And, and talent that you have in the organization and the organization that you have the potential or desire to partner with. You have the processes um, and technology that we talked about. And this final piece, maybe even the most important, honestly, culturally, what does your organization look like uh, in terms of how they make decisions, right? Is it top down? You're, you're going to do what I tell you to do. Is it bottom up? Hey, I want ideas. Bring me ideas. I lo we love innovation. Is All it these make versus buy? Yep. Make versus buy, right? build versus buy right even so culturally what does your organization look like and you have to be honest with yourself and your company and the partner because how you inter interface and interact with that other potential partner is imperative to its success and the success of the relationship not only that culturally you could still be innovative you could still be 
technology driven and you can still have the best people and talent in the industry and still look to outsource. I have a story for that. Yes, you do. So I do. It, it <laughs> deals with our best friend, Amazon, right? So uh, I, I worked for a company, Menlo Logistics, which is now XBO. And we had the opportunity to partner with Amazon. So when this opportunity, when I first got introduced to Amazon, I, I started asking myself, I'm like, why would Amazon outsource? Because we, we had to decide, right, do we even respond? Do we even engage and put resources against this opportunity? And I was talking to the team at the time, and we said, why would Amazon do this, right? They're, they're, they're a beast. They, they continue to grow. They have people, process innovation, and technology. And so when we started reviewing it and meeting with the Amazon folks and seeing their operations, we saw that even though Amazon was extremely good at what they do, and they continue to be, they continue to invest in technologies like Kiva, which they purchase, right? Goods to person, warehouses, small things like that. They are exceptional at that. What they realized they weren't exceptional was, was doing things that don't fit in their wheelhouse. So as I mentioned, Amazon is very good at goods to people. So, right, if you buy, you know, a phone or glasses or something like that, I, people can pick that and, and it can go through a sortation and conveyor and all that pretty in a standard way. But what does Amazon also sell, right? They sell chairs and furniture and TVs and couches and blow up dolls and all, all paddle boards, all these various things that it, when they were warehousing that, they found they're not very good at that. They're not very good and they needed some help. So they came to us, Menlo at the time, we partnered with them and we actually ran five DCs for them doing this stuff. So handling big bulky things. So why did they do that, right? Because we were able to take our engineering expertise and Menlo's expertise at the time, which was handling kind of nasty, non uh, conveyable products for a host of different customers. And they said, we can learn something from this opportunity. Even though we have people processes and technology and culture, right? We want to partner with somebody to learn this, to gain this expertise and to have a partner be able to do it better than us, right? So culturally they, they noticed, hey, we do things really well. We have a culture for innovation, but we also realize we have a culture for learning, right? And for putting that customer first. And they realized the customer first methodology drove them to delivering exceptional service and them selecting a partner that they felt could deliver better service than they could on their own. So you can have it kind of both ways. You could be a, the best company in certain spaces, but outsource certain things that you're not. And culturally, you have to kind of understand your organization, how you're going to work with that partner, and whether it makes sense to, that your culture will enable a success for that partnership. And that partnership was very successful. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I mean, that's a really perfect example really of, of an organization that most people think is good at a lot of things, looking at themselves honestly and critically and making the decision like, hey, we might not be very good at this, or even if we are very good at this, there might be somebody better that will bring support for, for us. So it yeah, is, uh, to absolutely. all these points, it's about understanding and knowing who you are as an organization, who you are as a leader, who you have on staff. Uh, I mean, really people process technology culture. It's, it's you need to know that. You got to know those four things about your own organization. And as I said, a potential partner organization. So as I talked about the Amazon stuff, Pat, and kind of the, the different models and the lighthouse stuff, I know you, you have experience in terms of partnering with companies uh, across a spectrum of outsourcing. Sure. I think a lot of people understand like outsourcing is like outsourcing. It's out of my way. I just kind of manage it. But I know you're, you're, and my experience shows a little bit different. Why don't you talk about some of the models of outsourcing and maybe some of the pros and cons of each? and the differences between them. Absolutely, and it's a great call out because when you're not used to an outsource model, it's just black or white. It's I do it myself or someone else does it for me. 
But really, when you start to dig down in it, and especially with something as complex as supply chain and, and transportation and logistics and the different things that touch the, the nodes of the supply chain, uh, it becomes a little bit more gray. There's shades of gray in what outsourcing looks like. So um, yeah, so, so from that, the obviously, if you're on this call, there's a really good chance that currently you're insourcing your logistics right now. You're, you're doing what the warehouse manager did for that kayak company before. You're, you're executing everything yourself. So we all know what insourcing is. That's vertically integrated. Uh, on the opposite side, you're talking about a monitor. So that's where, if you look at this as a spectrum, and, and to give you a spoiler, there's a couple more that's going to be in the middle there. Uh, on the far right there, monitor, that's the throw it over the wall type of outsourcing, right? That's the automotive supplier that the OEM that says, hey, I need to make this widget in uh, China. Here are the specs. These are how many we need. This is when we need them. We're going to basically look at that every, we're going to review this relationship once a quarter, once every six months, once a year, if something breaks. Uh, it's very hands-off. A lot of times there's not a lot of differentiation in that. A lot of times it's cheap. Uh, there's so, okay, so that's the monitor approach, the over-the-wall approach, if you will. Now, kind of on the other side of the, of the outsource spectrum is that orchestrated approach. This is where you get a lot more control as an organization, right? You have to have your thumb on that supplier. A lot of 3PL relationships today operate in more of an orchestrated model. Yeah, you're relying on that 3PL or that broker to actually execute that shipment for you today, but you're managing them. You have staff assigned to oversee their performance, to track those shipments, to make sure that they're doing the things that they need to do. So that's more of the orchestrated approach where, you know, you're, you have a little bit more control over the operation. There's a lot more review or interaction. Uh, and of course, you're still driving that strategy. And then, so the next, the hybrid is between that orchestrated and that modern approach, right? You can guess what that is. Yeah, maybe you're giving up just a little bit of control. It's more of a, a strategic trust, so to speak. Um, now, of course, when you look left to right here for the insourced orchestrated hybrid monitor, there's a bit of a continuum. So insourced is gonna be probably, you're gonna have the most control because you're controlling your organization, for lack of a better term, owns all those employees and you can dictate what they do, how they do it and what that looks like. On the far right, you have the least amount of control because it's as far outside of your organization as it's going to get. Now, the benefits on that, if you think of that continuum, is that it's going to cost you a lot less to throw that over the wall. You don't have the management resources, the people that you're going to need to, or that you would have to have to put that thumb on that supplier. Uh, on the opposite side, in source, there's a lot of costs involved because you have to staff all those people. And like Lee talked about before with people and talent, strategic drivers in the supply chain. Those people, because of that talent gap, they're kind of expensive. So, and you have to have the raw numbers there. So you look at the continuum, the control, you lose a little bit control of control if you go out to the right. Uh, we, were, we were just having a conversation actually before everybody jumped on about hair care. So if you think about a metaphor, uh, you look at my hair care and it's not very differentiated. My hair is what it is, right Lee? Yeah, that's right. Looks so good. I insource that man, I do it. Uh, and I have a lot of control over that. I don't have a lot of expertise, but then again, I don't need a lot of expertise. So I'm saving there. So uh, <laughs> now did you, <laughs> sorry, I, I like my, my hair care example. Now somebody with <laughs> what a, a great head of hair that Lee has on the other hand, 
know, he might have an orchestrated or more of a hybrid or monitor model, right? You're going out to the to the uh, stylist and That's he or it. she is, is making the decision for you or you're having a conversation about what you want that to look like on the back. As long as I have hair, I feel like I need to treat it well, so. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. So, yeah, I mean, when, so you talk, we talked about what the organization needs to have. I, I want to give you the opportunity to, to provide relevant examples or uh, any questions you have around the different types of models that we have here. Absolutely. I think one thing that, that stands out for me is uh, from an orchestrated role. So, for example, companies that we work with, Pat, you know this as well as I do, we literally have people, our people, in that company's office, right? They're in there. So when you talk about orchestrated, literally as things change minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, we as a partner to that company can change our objectives as well, can change our deliveries as well. So it's really a strong strategic alignment. There's a lot of trust. There's a lot of you know transparency there, uh, but there's a lot of alignment from an orchestrated model. Whereas a monitored, I don't know if, if someone's saying, hey, you know, do 10 trucks for us, we're not gonna go sit in their office, right? That's just not, that's not how we work. And I don't think that's how most companies work. So, and, and again, as an orchestrated model, I almost, I tell customers that I have the opportunity to work with, from an or if we're in an orchestrated type outsourcing model, think of me as, as kind of your in-source part team, in the sense that I am your logistics department, right? Consider me that, and you get treated as such. Now we should be able to perform a little bit better because we'll have KPIs, you can hold us more accountable and things like that. But that's how I see that orchestrated model. And again, in terms of you know monitored versus orchestrated, we talked about the speed of which things change to in today's environment. Monitored might be, hey, you're asking me to do this, you know, ABC all the time, right? But now we need XYZ. Oh, I, I can't do that, right? Whereas in an orchestrated model, you should be able to partner up, work more strategically to understand the needs and forthcoming needs of that company and to be able to be agile and, and helping them meet their needs. That's where I see a big a big difference versus uh, you know, the, the different types of models. I've also seen, and I know you have, Pat, companies that start in a monitored relationship, gain trust, gain transparency, and then move to hybrid and then to an orchestrated model. I've also seen companies that have gone monitored, gone in-source, you know, all across the spectrum, you really, again, looking at those four things that we talked about earlier, engaging your company's internal people, process, innovation, technology, and culture, that I think helps you decide on where to place your bets in terms of in-sourced, orchestrated, hybrid, or monitored. That's, that is such a great call out when you say you can start in one and go to another because you're right, businesses change, HR strategy changes, advertising strategy changes, supply chain strategy, it's probably going to change. Look at five months ago. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, all of a sudden, half the country is on lockdown, uh, and now here we are. The other half of the country is on lockdown, and so things are changing at a pace uh, that we really haven't seen before. So, being able to have that strategic partnership, uh, if you need such a strategic partnership, if something like that is going to impact your supply chain, uh, I, I think that's a very good call out. So, thanks for doing that, Nate. Yeah, 100%. As we move to our next topic here, I think one other thing to call out is companies that I've had the opportunity to work with. Sometimes they think they have an orchestrated outsourcing model with us, and it's a monitored outsourcing model. And those are totally different dynamics in terms of the communication and how we respond and the volume and various things like that. So it, it's difficult to lay on a partner like, hey, I give you you know, 100 trucks a month, whatever that is. Now I need to revamp my entire supply chain. Why aren't you able to help me? 
well, brother, I haven't, you haven't invited me to a QBR. We haven't talked strategy. You don't, I don't know where your company's trying to go. You don't know where we're trying to go to meet you. Like you, you, you have to meet me halfway, help me help you in a way. So I found companies that include vendors, include partners and get their ideas have a much higher likelihood of, of relationship success from an outsourcing model than if they treat this guy or, or girl or company as a, you know, you're, you're cheap, you, you know, do what I tell you to do and all that. That's not really how to get the most value out of that. Especially, but that goes back, and I'm sorry to cut you off, that no, goes back to that, to knowing yourself as an organization, right? What do you need? Do you need Absolutely. a differentiated service? Do you need a strategic partner? If, if these are things that you need, if you truly are, you look at yourselves and you look at your talent, you look at your technology and your culture, et cetera, and you make the decision to, uh, to outsource, be honest with yourself and what you need from that relationship. Absolutely. So let's go into our next topic. This is one that I'm super, super excited about because a lot of companies that, that I work with or even engage with, I, I ask some of these questions around, you know, is your partner doing this or doing that? And they're like, no, why, why would they do that? Right. Or they're saying, oh, I didn't know they were supposed to be doing that. And I'm sitting here going, wow, you know, in all my experience and all the, the things that I've learned and the companies I've worked with and coworkers like yourself that I have the opportunity to work with, these are things that uh, in today's environment, COVID, pandemic, economic turmoil, all these various things, recovery, you know, Fed, all this, if you are not getting these four things from your logistics partner, you might want to find a new one. Table so stakes, <laughs> The table stakes, you got to have it. So the first, responsiveness. This is incredibly important. So what do I mean by responsiveness? I, I, I talk to some companies and like, oh, I have, a, I have a broker, or I have a 3PL or, you know, but they don't really respond. They don't respond, right? So that tells me you're with the wrong partner if they're not responding and they don't have an expectation and a cadence to respond to you. Now, I don't mean e answer an email in two hours. That's not exactly what I mean. But what I mean by responsiveness is a, an empathetic listening ear to what is happening within the customer's organization and the ability to communicate that within the partner organization to enact change, to deliver value to back to that customer, right? That is absolutely crucial. There is no, in terms of not responding or not being empathetic and not listening, that is, you're with the wrong partner. I'm telling you, you're just wrong. And, and, and the reason that I say that is look what has happened, right, with COVID here in the last four or five months. If you're not with a responsive partner, to quickly enact change within your supply chain, you are setting yourself up and your company up for failure. That is number one, a responsive partner to your needs. Number two, yeah. did you have something on responsives? I know- well, I, you I was just gonna say, it, it's also good when they respond to your emails. That is, that is very important too. <laughs> Go ahead. The next one, super, super important, visibility. Visibility used to be something that, that is like, oh, I'd love to have visibility. Now, if you don't, you're done, you're done. The global supply chains have become so complex with the myriad of partners around the globe. Even if you have a domestic supply chain, it's still quite complex. So if your partners, whether you outsource logistics or manufacturing or HR or whatever, if they do not have visibility and your partner is not able to provide that visibility to you, you're with the wrong partner, right? For example, I worked with a company, I'm working with a company, and I said, hey, I'd love, you know, they're engaged and we're talking. I said, let's, let's work on getting some data, right? Some data, just basic, I'm talking about basic data. It took them about a month to get me that. And they were working with another partner. So the partner was 
very slow to give up that data, mm. right? That is not going to work in today's environment. The data is the customer's data. Data is the new oil, right? It is valuable beyond belief. It is the new oil. So if you don't have access and visibility to your data, what's happening down to SKU level profitability in terms of historical trends in the shipping market, parcel, LTL, truckload, warehousing costs. If you don't have visibility to that, you're with the wrong partner, right? So that's- you talk that about that. We talked about technology before and on that visibility point, because of the pace of change in technology, if, if you don't have access today, then it means that you don't have access to the technology that you need. So right now, if you're trying to make this decision on whether or not to, to outsource your transportation or parts of your supply chain, or you're right, HR, whatever, there's data that's gonna help you drive those decisions. If you don't have access to that, you need help somewhere. Whether Absolutely. that's, and you have to make that organizational decision on how that's going to change, but you should get and, yourself some help. And let me reiterate, the, the company that I'm, that I'm working with now, I, they love it. They love the guy. He, he's responsive. He responds to all emails very quickly. He responds, right? He, he does these various things. They're but a that, partner, right? He's a good, <laughs> he's a good partner. So, yeah. but, but he's not able, that company, whichever one it is, is not able to provide the visibility as well. So again, you got to have these four things. It's not just one. You'd be very responsive. Hey, you respond to all my emails. Great. But can he provide you your historical shipment data? Nah, it takes me about a month to do that. Well, that don't work. In today's world, it does not work. All right. Number three, super important. So we have responsiveness. We have visibility. What's next? Agility and flexibility. Super, super important. Why? We go back to the last three or four months. How many supply chains have been totally thrown on their head? Totally. Companies are saying, it's all of them, right? All of them. So you have and all these risks in the future. For example, what happens if culturally we say, we don't want to do business with China anymore? Or a big portion of your market says, we don't want to buy from a company that sources from China anymore. This is a possibility, total possibility, right? Oh, we, we, we want, we're selling a ton of stuff on uh, e-commerce now, but our partner, they're not really good at e-commerce. Well, they should be agile enough and you should be strategically aligned enough to see that coming, to know, hey, uh, you know, six months ago, our e-com isn't where it needs to be. We need to, we need a plan, plan to get there. And your partner should be agile enough and flexible enough to support you in that growth, whether through their own technology uh, track, through their own uh, strategic alignment and various things like that. You got to have responsiveness. You got to have visibility and you got to have agility and flexibility. If you're They're not great. getting these three things today or you're partnering with somebody in the future that you're not confident has these, there's one more. But you should be very, very cautious. Go ahead, Pat. The, the greatest example of the agility flexibility uh, argument or point, you would say, is in the retail world right now. Oh, All yeah. of a sudden, retail, I mean, here in Michigan, we were hit hard by, by COVID initially, and it was every retail store shut down, aside from you know the essentials, your grocery stores and whatnot. So all of a sudden, all these retailers were panicking. How are we going to sell our product? We're still open. We still need to function. So it's talking about that that change from the traditional retail model to e-commerce. That's Absolutely. a huge change in and of itself. But then you see companies like Levi's and a handful of other organizations that have really thought about the supply chain and using their retail footprint to start fulfilling from stores as opposed to those three or four DCs they have around the country. So that's been a massive change. And if you don't have the internal resources like, say, Levi's, then you need a partner that, that can give you insight into that. Absolutely. So please, I just wanted to give that example. And you, you said the word insight, and this is the last one on this, what you should expect from a partner that is, that is you know, a world-class level partner. And 
I mentioned the complexity around supply chains globally. Uh, we've, we've talked about how quickly things change. We talked about how supply chain touches so many other parts of a company's business. You need a partner that delivers expertise beyond what their core executable value is in. What do I mean by that? You need a partner that is delivering expertise around things like technology, around process innovation, around their experiences in other industries, right? So we have a gentleman on our in our company named John Richardson. He's a true supply chain master. You know, 30 years of experience working around a host of different industries. I try to invite him to all my customer meetings that I can have. Why? Because he's able to say, hey, we had a service merchandise a webinar a few weeks ago that I attended. It was awesome here at TI. So John's able to leverage his experience in meeting and talking and learning from all these experts and say, hey, service merchandise did this 20 years ago and they made some mistakes around this. How is that applicable to today? The customer's rarely gonna say, well, John, you only your TI is only moving some trucks for us. We don't wanna hear you about your experience in terms of setting up an omni-channel network. If your partner's not able to do that, I think you're really missing out on the right partner because that is table stakes in today's environment. If you, again, if you're just a monitor, hey, move 10 trucks, that's one thing. But if you're looking for a truly strategic orchestrated relationship with a partner to, to help drive both companies forward, if that partner's not able to offer expertise outside of their direct executable you know, stuff, I think you're missing out. Re responsiveness, visibility, agility and flexibility and expertise. If you have those four things in a partner, you have a damn good partner and you should probably hang on to them. Absolutely. And, and to kind of drive that home a little bit more and tie it back to the internal expertise, right? You might have, when we talk about the people and the talent, you might have someone that's really, really good in your supply chain. But think about that experience. If they grew up in your supply chain, they were the shipping manager, they became the transportation manager, they became the mm -hmm. director of transportation, now they're director of supply chain, they still have a very limited view of the world. So when you're looking at a partner, you look for that experience, the John Richardsons, right? He had his own consultancy for 10 years. Like <laughs> He was that my guy professor at Georgia Tech, by the way. He was my professor at oh. Georgia Tech. <laughs> so there you go. I mean, like you get these experts and, and you know, we know the TI experts or the Georgia Tech professors. Um, but there, there are experts out there and these are the people that are going to bring outside view to what you do. Everyone from a talent perspective, they look to hire, you know, here I, I'm just outside of Detroit, so I'm in the middle of the automotive world. Must have automotive uh, expertise, must have automotive experience. And it makes sense because that's what that industry is. But when you talk about diversity, it's not just diversity in what people look like or who they are, it's what knowledge they have, right? Yeah, so absolutely. if somebody works in IT, there could be relevant supply chain knowledge from an IT provider, strangely, that could be applicable and could change the industry in the automotive world. 100%. And, you know, from a TI perspective, we have around, I think, 750, uh, 760, somewhere like that customers. So John and, and his analytics team is able to look across all those supply chains and say, what's happening in these various industries and how might that be, be applicable to companies that we work with? hey, something's happening here in retail you really should pay attention to. There's a new technology, there's a new innovation, there's new process. That might have a big impact on manufacturing. That is invaluable experience that I think it's tough to, to have a partner that isn't able to provide that. Absolutely. So I think we, we've kind of, uh, we've, we've detailed this. I hope that's valuable. Again, again, really look at your partnerships and say if they're, ask yourself if they're delivering on those four things. So our next and final topic as we wrap up here, so what are the things that sets your logistics provider apart? 
what will enable a successful relationship? So, you know, I, as, as I look back, yep. as I look back on, on my experiences in, in great relationships with companies, when I look back at my experience with not so great relationships in, with companies, these are the three things that I have found that has enabled success. The first one, trust. You gotta have trust with your partner. Now, trust takes time to develop right? This is incredibly, incredibly important. You have to trust. Again, if you have a responsive, agile, flexible, expert a partner, you have to trust in them. You have to trust in their ability to execute. For example, I worked with a large manufacturer recently, and they, they were managing three warehouses on their own and three transportation networks. And they thought they were doing a really good job. <laughs> and they were doing a pretty good job. I mean, they were. But as I went and toured those facilities and I saw how they set up both their warehousing and their transportation, I saw a lot of room for opportunity and improvement. And so I just started asking, you know, you know, what, you know, what, what drives that metric? Or do you think that metric's good? Or how do you think you guys are doing? Everything was, we're doing great. We're exceptional. Why are you here? Right now, these were the operators on the floor. Now the management was kind of like, Hey, we want a different look, but they were like, no one can beat us. Well, we ended up winning that opportunity. And we beat them. We didn't beat them, but again, it was more of a lighthouse approach that we shared things with them. But it was that trust, that team that was making that decision trusted the things that we were saying that we put forth from the solution. And when we said, "Hey, we can hit 99.8% accuracy," that is, that's kind of what we do. They said, "Okay, explain how you're going to do that." We explained how we're going to do that and how we can help enable their business to do it too. So they really had a lot of trust in us as the provider to deliver that for them, which we did. Trust it's is super, funny. super important. Absolutely. And it, it's funny how all these things kind of intermingle with each other, right? So we just talked about, so trust. Yeah, well, you can't just blindly trust someone. How do you gain that trust? Well, go back to the last slide, right? If you're getting these four things, well, that's you're probably doing it pretty well. So there's a, a, a trust value there. Correct. Absolutely. Next, super, super, super important, transparency. We talked about visibility, really important. Transparency goes right along with that. If you and your partner are transparent with each other, right, from the performance that is being provided and executed on to the strategic alignment to bills, to, 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 to the financial relationship within a partnership, right, you have to be transparent. Transparency creates an opportunity for trust. If people feel like they're being lied to or things hidden from them, it's very hard for them to trust. So if you don't have transparency with your provider or that provider is not providing that to you, be very, very cautious, right? Understand how the, the, the provider is going to make money, but also at the same time, understand the provider has to make money or they're not gonna be a very good provider to you, right? This is, I can't make money if TI goes bankrupt. I mean, we can't make money for our partner if we go bankrupt, right? On the same reason, if we try to hammer our customers for more money and they go out of business, we're not gonna be very successful either. I always say, I don't like win-wins. I don't like win-wins. Why? What do you mean by that? Yeah. Why? Why? If we look at win-win, we think win-win. But win-win could be this. This guy gets 98% of the win and I get 2% or vice versa. That's not sustainable. That's not sustainable. I like equal win or at least transparency wins, right? To where I understand and there's an expectation for what's going to happen in this relationship, the financial piece, the operational piece, all that strategic piece and they understand that about my performance as well Super just like any other 
any other outsource provider, if you're, again, you're making a widget, getting a widget made in China, you got to go in eyes wide open. You have to understand how, why, how much, what the execution looks like, what the process is. I mean, it's incredibly important to really understand, you know, yes, us as service providers, we certainly want to understand your business, right? But yep. you should understand ours because having that equal understanding leads to where I think Lee's going to go next. <laughs> Absolutely. It sounds kind of like a marriage, doesn't it? Hopefully it's a great marriage. So. <laughs> yeah, Our last one, Peter, right? Our last one, again, all these kind of fields come together. But if you want more than a vendor, if you want somebody that's going to deliver exceptional value to your organization beyond just the four things that you should be getting, right? Visibility, uh, you know, strategic alignment, all these various things. These are These are the three keys. Trust, transparency, and the final one is strategic alignment, right? Super, super important. Why? Companies have strategies that they try to implement to continue their business or to meet the customer's needs, to drive value to that customer. If your partner does not have alignment to and understand your strategy, how can you expect them to align and create more value for you? It's very difficult to do so. So during those QBRs that I have or annual meetings, I ask, what is your strategic objectives? I roll through the 10 Ks, right? The 10 Qs. I, I understand their investor relations and look at their um, PowerPoints. So I can bring value to them and say, my understanding of your strategic uh, goals is this. Here is TIs. How do we mold those together? How do we do that? So that is important for us to deliver as a, ven a vendor, but it's also important for companies to understand their vendor has to be able to deliver on these things. And you have to tell them, hey, here's what our strategy is. We are setting up an omni-channel e-com network where we want to deliver uh, two days to compete against Amazon around the, the uh, nation. Great. How can you help us? Well, our alignment is to implement a visibility tool around all of that so you can see all these various things. right? So it just continues on. And it goes back to that piece that we mentioned, Peter. You can't have a monitored relationship and expect an orchestrated performance. Right. You, you got to have you got to understand. And again, the trust, transparency and communication is so, so vitally important. But these are the three things that I have seen in my career. And I, I, I imagine you would echo it. The most successful partnerships have had these three things. They're not easy to achieve. Let's be let's be honest. They're not easy to achieve. But if you have them and that partner is delivering on the previous four things that we mentioned. You're doing very, very well. Yeah, absolutely. To to kind of second that, if, if you think about the last slide, these are those are the table stakes, right? If you're not getting those in 2020, you, you got to go elsewhere. Uh, in uh, I think in 2021, 2022, 2025, and beyond, these become table stakes absolutely. because businesses are just getting more and more interconnected because people are specializing more and more and getting less and less vertically integrated. So absolutely. you need this trust and transparency and strategic alignment to make sure that you're going in the right way, in the right path. So, yeah. 100%. And if you think about our first slide, when we when we talked about the four things that you had to look at, right? Yeah. People, innovation process, technology, and the last one, culture. culture. When you look at not only your internal organization, but a potential vendor, these are the things you need to feel comfortable that they are able to deliver and that is a part of their DNA. Is that company trustworthy? Are they transparent? And are they aligned with us strategically? You have to look at that and you have to understand that with any partner that you want to. Why? Not only is it going to be important for your business, but guess what? Outsourcing can, is, is certainly a risky maneuver, 
right? Insourcing is risky too, sure. but outsourcing is a risk for sure. And if you decide to outsource, changing that outsourcing provider is very risky, right? This is why the, the retention rate in our industry is so high. Companies might not be pleased with the performance, but they're saying the value to change, we, we're not there quite yet, right? So it's better to do the work in the beginning to understand these things that we've talked about through this webinar. Do the extra work then to save yourself a ton of extra work and risk on the back end, right? That's where I see super important, um, you know, again, all these things kind of just mold together. So I, I hope we've, we've been clear in terms of how to insource, for, how to make that decision, insource versus outsource, right? The types of approaches that you can have, monitored, insourced, hybrid, orchestrated, various things like that. I hope that we've, we've described the four table stakes that you gotta have from any, any vendor today. And if you're not, you should really look at that vendor and ask them, why aren't you able to provide this? Or what is your roadmap to be able to provide this? Or I need a new partner, right? And then finally, how do you enable that, that relationship success? How do you make that partner more than a vendor? More a how do you make a vendor partner? a partner? Yeah. How do you make a vendor a partner, right? trust transparency and strategic alignment so i know as we kind of wrap up here i'll give it back to peter we probably have a few questions but these are really the i think just the the key things that for me in my experience that i've seen have driven the in-source versus outsource uh, conversation and that have enabled companies who decide that the outsource is the right move for them certainly in the logistics field but i think this has applicability elsewhere as well success in that partnership like haircuts like yep. haircuts. <laughs> I, I concur pat i'm totally with you uh, we do have a few questions come in, and uh, like like I said at the beginning uh, to our audience, uh, if you if you do have any questions for Lee and Pat, uh, if you can forward them into the uh, questions pane there. But I had a couple questions come in, and this one's for you, Lee. Um, so, what's the most common mistake? Like, if 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 someone's made the decision to outsource, right? What's the most common mistake that that you see shippers make when beginning that engagement? Sure. Uh, very good question. Um, I've done a lot of <laughs> a lot of uh, interactions with companies, as Pat mentioned, across all sorts of sectors and industries, and you know various things like that. There is one one overarching thing that stands out to me that is kind of the biggest hurdle and, and mistake, if you will, that the companies make. So we talked about having a provider provide expertise and strategic alignment and a roadmap and various things like that. But what I see a lot of companies doing is they say, okay, we decide we, we need to outsource, perfect. And when we outsource, we're gonna tell the company exactly what to do. And we're gonna give them, we're gonna write this sweet RFP and we're gonna say company ABC, you guys respond to this at the price and that's it. And lowest cost or whatever is gonna win. This I think is a pivotal mistake in when you're exploring outsourcing, why? These partners, again, have expertise, they should, in a very varied uh, array of industries, right? Projects, things that went well, things that didn't go well, uh, technology opportunities, ways of doing things different. If you just say, answer the call, don't put any thinking into it, right? Just tell me what it's gonna cost. I think you're missing out on potential value that that company Huge. can provide. Very important. Now. What are the cons of this approach? The cons of this approach are it makes it a little more difficult to price it, right? But if you're finding a partner in a hybrid or orchestrated manner, I would caution you that the lowest price might not be the best, the best solution. You, and again, if you have trust, transparency, and strategic alignment, 
the total cost of that solution should drive down to the bottom line and provide value exceeding certainly very much exceeding the cost but that's the biggest i think mistake a roadblock that i see companies make is just developing an rp telling finding their five vendors that they want to talk to and saying give me the answer that delivers to this rp don't bring any in, in additional information expertise insight things like that don't give me a new idea just answer this i think you're leaving a potential significant amount of value on the table there and Thanks, if sir. i could give a, a targeted kind of example of that a very simplified example in the world of transportation if you think about in an ltl rfp right here are my 10,000 ltl shipments this year they're going from these two facilities here's all the data price it go well yeah i mean you could okay fine copy paste i'll run a couple rates and here we go we can do that and then you're going to pick based off price but now in the simplest form you're missing out on opportunities for pool distribution and aggregation and all these other Back things off. where maybe warehouse part yeah exactly so it's if you put someone into a box this big, you're going to get answers this big. And that goes back to that experience and, and understanding that. So that's a great call. Thank you, Pat and Lee. Uh, got another question here, and I'll, I'll throw this one to Pat. Uh, what role, if any role, does seasonality play in the decision to outsource your logistics operations? <laughs> really, it's, it can play a pretty significant role. Uh, seasonality can play a pretty significant role in your business. Uh, so why wouldn't it uh, provide uh, or I guess impact the decision a lot? So think about that kayak manufacturer, right? They're not selling kayaks in January here in Michigan, uh, unless it's for sledding, which I guess could be kind of fun. So it, it, you think about that and, it, and now it goes back to knowing yourself, right? So you have to understand yourself. Again, it goes back to talent. All right, so we're a seasonal business. We're going to ship these primarily six or seven months a year. I'm, I'm off the kayak thing now, but if you have a seasonal business, it's maybe only three months a year, and you have the smartest supply chain person ever, and they're there and they can come up with these unique ways of looking at the supply chain, you're still paying that person for basically three months of work. Yep. So seasonality is a huge thing because when you talk about in-source versus outsource, and this goes with things outside of supply chain, it's scalable, right? You can use a partner when you need that partner, even in a strategic relationship. Mm -hmm. You know, not all people come to TI for our network design and supply chain analytics capabilities, you know, every day. Most of the time, that's once every three or four years when they're looking to open a new warehouse or buy a new company or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's I, seasonality plays a, a huge role in that, Peter. That's a great question. Yeah, thank you, thank you both. Uh, and uh, I want to go ahead and actually we're running short on time here. Um, I'm to thank Pat and Lee for sharing their perspectives today. Uh, the insight you guys shared really will help our audience determine if outsourcing their logistics management makes sense for their organization. Uh, the, ex the essential components for a fruitful partnership were especially helpful and, and thoughtful to me. To our listeners, if we didn't get to your question, um, uh, we'll follow up. We'll, we'll follow up with information from Pat and Lee. And if you want to connect with them, uh, you can see their their contact information here. So uh, we like to we'll thank be very you. responsive. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> They'll be very responsive. Absolutely. That's what TI does. Come on. <laughs> yeah, that's what we do. You're exactly right. So I'd like to thank our audience for attending uh, today's episode of the Supply Chain Master Series. And uh, if you 
be sure to see the calendar of the upcoming digital events on the resources section of our website. There you can register for upcoming session, including our next episode, which is entitled Budget Time, Carrier and Spend Management Planning. I know you guys are anxious to hear that one. Uh, so that'll be on July 30th at noon Eastern, and our supply chain masters will share the latest industry trends and best spend management practices, and their insight will help you balance supply chain cost and service in 2021 and beyond. So on behalf of today's presenters, Pat Allen and Lee Burrell, I'd like to thank everyone for joining us today in this broadcast presented by Transportation Insight, your supply chain masters.